Well, good morning again. Thanks for sticking with us through some of our technical difficulties so far this morning. Hopefully that's the end of it, but we will see how it goes. Uh, you may have wondered these past few weeks why it is we have that big gap between the communion meditation and the sermon. And the idea is that we want to give you time to take communion at home before we start the sermon. Uh, and if you don't have communion supplies, one thing I would throw out there to you is that we still have our communion supplies here. Uh, I know after four weeks away, you are really missing those styrofoam pieces of bread slash cracker. If you do not have communion supplies at home, if you keep forgetting to pick some up at the grocery store, if you just feel better taking the real stuff from Prairie View Christian Church, uh, just let me know. You can stop by the church and we'll load you up with 10 or 12 or 20 little cups of communion that you can take at home and use there. So, Now last week we began our holiday gift guide sermon series, examining the wonderful gift of God's word. The Bible is God's inspired, authoritative, special revelation of himself. God breathed his word into existence. It is our primary authority for what we believe and how we live. And it is the means by which we truly come to know God. That's because the Bible tells us the truth about who God is and who we are. It tells us what God has done through Jesus Christ to address the sin that separated us from him. It tells us how to live as his children and his servants after we believe. And it tells us what we look forward to in eternity. Thus, when we ignore God's word, neglect it, or take it for granted... We do so at our own peril. And we miss out on a glorious gift from God's own sacred mouth. But today we shift to gift number two, and that is the church. Like God's word, the church is a gift that we are regularly tempted to disregard, disrespect, and underappreciate. Sadly, this peculiar time, called 2020, has brought that truth into much clearer focus. A study by the Barna Group concluded that some 32% of self-identified practicing Christians stopped attending church altogether during and after the pandemic lockdowns in the spring. Totally disengaged totally disconnected from any church at all. Not just their church, but any church at all. Many believers have abandoned the church this year. We've thrown it out like a rock-hard fruitcake or a re-gifted necktie. So this morning, we're going to take the same approach that we took last week when we discussed God's Word. We're going to summarize what the church is and summarize what the church does. And we will do this in hopes of growing in our understanding of the church and growing in our appreciation for the church. This wonderful gift of God's grace. So if you're opening your Bibles, which I encourage you to do so, open to Ephesians chapter 1 verse 22. 
We'll read a couple other passages as well, but we will start with Ephesians. But before we do any reading, let's pray together as a church. Father, thank you for Sunday. Thank you for this time that we have to gather, albeit in different places and in smaller groups, to worship you. Uh, As we've said earlier in the service, and as we're going to say again here in a few minutes, the church is not the building. The building is a wonderful gift. It's wonderful to be in the same room. Uh, But Lord, we are still a church, even when we're not in the same room. Uh, So Lord, I pray that you would remind us of that today and every other Sunday, no matter what the next few weeks or the next few months could theoretically look like, that we are a church as long as we read your word, preach your word, as long as we take communion, as long as we practice baptism, as long as we love each other, as long as we disciple each other, as long as we go out and make disciples. Lord, we are doing the things a church does, no matter how different it might look this year. And Lord, thank you for Jesus, the head of the church, the one who brings us all together, calls us all together as a body. Thank you that he gave up his body on the cross, that he gave his life as a ransom for many, that his body was broken and his blood was shed for us, so that our sins can be forgiven so that we can be reconciled to you, so that we might be your children and your servants, and that we might be brothers and sisters. Lord, thank you for Jesus. And so I ask that this time that we have to read from your word, to think about and talk about your church, uh, would be challenging to us, would be inspiring to us, and would remind us of this great gift that you've given us. We love you, we worship you, we praise you, Lord. We ask that Everything we say and everything that we do here today be for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So what is the church? In the ancient world, the word that we usually translate as church was used to refer to an assembly or gathering of people for just about any reason. People could gather for politics, games, a meal, any sort of meeting together could be referred by this word. But in the pages of the New Testament, that word begins to take on a deeper and more significant meaning. In the New Testament, at its most basic level, the word we translate as church came to be referred to an assembly or gathering of Christians. And if you want to get even more technical, the word could be translated as called out ones. Called out ones. So what is the church? Or maybe even more appropriately, who is the church? The church is God's gathered, assembled, called out people. God's gathered assembled, called out people. In one sense, this idea goes all the way back to the Old Testament. The nation of Israel was also an assembly of people called out from the world and called into a unique relationship with God. They were set apart. 
distinct from the surrounding nations in just about every way of life. But by the time we get to the New Testament, we learn that the true gathering of God's people is much broader than the nation of Israel, the descendants of Abraham, or the adherents of the law of Moses. God's people, the church, is the people of faith. The people who are longing for the Messiah that God has promised. The people who believe in the Messiah that God has promised. Jesus Christ. Now on the one hand, there is the universal church. Some might call it the Big C church. In the Nicene Creed, this is referred to as the communion of saints. The universal church is all of God's people across time and space. Those you know and those you don't. Those who have already died in the faith and those who currently live in the faith. It's Christians of varying race, sex, nation, language, education, economics, tradition, and denomination. One scholar defined the universal church as the whole body of Christians scattered throughout the earth. Collectively, all who worship and honor God and Christ in whatever place they may be. In passages like Ephesians 1, 22 and 23, which you've opened up to, this universal big C church is referred to as Christ's body. Christ's body. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 refers to it as a great cloud of witnesses. In 1 Peter 2.9 we see it called a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and a people for God's own possession. That's the universal church. And it is breathtaking. But then on the other hand, there are local Little C churches. These are the gatherings of God's called out people meeting in specific times, in specific places. In the New Testament, there are churches in Rome, Galatia, Philippi, many other cities and towns. Likewise, there are churches in Fishers and Indianapolis and Noblesville and even Carmel. The local church is made up of those people you worship with, you learn with, you pray with, you serve with, and you eat with. It's the community of believers you've committed yourself to, and conversely, they've committed themselves to you. The Apostle Paul also refers to local churches as bodies of Christ, albeit on a much smaller scale. In 1 Timothy 3, verse 15, Paul refers to the local church in Ephesus as a household of God. So you have the universal church. You have local churches. But no matter who you're talking about there, they are all under the lordship of Jesus. If you look back again at Ephesians 1, 22 and 23, if the church... Or if a church is like a body, then Jesus is the head. The universal church 
and all the local churches are called together by the word of God, empowered by the Holy Spirit, following in the footsteps of the apostles, but all under Jesus's lordship. Sometimes we view the elders or the pastor as the heads, the head, the boss, the CEO, the president of the church. And you know, in practical ways, that may be somewhat true. Those are the people God has appointed to lead and make decisions and exercise authority. But in the eternal scheme of things, none of those people, none of us, is the true head, the true boss, the true CEO, the true president of the church. We are servants. The head of the church is Jesus and Jesus alone. So there is a glimpse, a quick summary of what or who the church is. It's often been said that the church is not the building. The church is the people. And you know, as corny as you may think that sounds, it's pretty spot on. Theologian John Calvin once said, The church is wherever we see the word of God sincerely preached and heard, and wherever we see the sacraments, he's referring to baptism and the Lord's Supper there, wherever we see the sacraments administered according to the institution of Christ. So for a church, you have people gathering to hear the word of God preached. You have people being baptized and people taking the Lord's Supper as the Bible calls us to do. When you have that, you have yourself a church. So the church is the called out people of God across time and space. The called out people of God in specific times and specific places. Like those who call Prairie View Christian Church home, for example. And just think about that for a moment. By faith in Jesus Christ, you are part of a great cloud of witnesses. You follow in the footsteps. You stand on the shoulders of countless believers who came before you. You have siblings in Christ, not just here in this church, but in the pages of history and to the ends of the earth. When you think about it that way, the church becomes a little more impressive, becomes a little bit more awe-inspiring, makes you think how much of a gift it really is, doesn't it? So that's some of what or who the church is. Well, what does the church do? This one shouldn't surprise you. The church exists to worship the one true God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Quite frankly, God's glory is the primary reason for the church's existence. Everything a church does... From the Monday staff meeting, to the Tuesday Bible study at the retirement home, to the Wednesday small group, to the Thursday women's ministry, to the Friday men's breakfast, to the Saturday kids soccer league, to the Sunday morning worship service, and the Sunday evening youth group. 
It all comes back to God's glory. Sometimes we lose sight of that. Sometimes we get so focused on just keeping the organization running that we forget what we're really here for. We are here for God's glory. The church is not just a public interest group, though we do want to be out in public. We're not just a book club, though we do have one book that we really like to read. We're not just a political movement, though we do have some political expectations. And we are not just a collection of activists, though we do want to be active in the world. If those are the things that you're looking for, you can find them somewhere else. But in the church, you find worship. You find a desire to glorify God. You find a gathered, assembled, called out people of God who exists for the specific sacred purpose of worshiping the Father, Son, and Spirit. The church exists for God's glory. The church exists to worship him. But the church also builds us up in the faith. The church is a God-given gift for individual followers of Jesus to grow in knowledge, maturity, and holiness. It's a place for us to use the various gifts the Holy Spirit has given us For the good of others and to benefit from the gifts the Holy Spirit has given them. In that sense, the church really is like a body, like a car, different parts playing different roles, but all working together. The church encourages us when we're weak. It holds us accountable when we stray. It sanctifies us. It edifies us. It feeds us. It equips us to go out into the world knowing who we are, knowing what we believe, and knowing how we're called to live. Being in community with fellow Christians builds us up in the faith in a way that we simply cannot achieve by ourselves. You can gain a lot from reading the Bible on your own. You can gain a lot from going out into the woods and examining God's beautiful creation. You can gain a lot from downloading an MP3 of a sermon from some famous preacher across the country. But none of those things are good enough to replace a church. They might be good supplements. But none of those things can replicate a community of believers. So the church exists for God's glory to worship him. The church exists to build us up in the faith. But the church doesn't just give us a community. The church gives us a family. We don't just have fellowship with friends, cooperation with like-minded individuals, or partners in a shared goal. We have brothers and sisters. We love each other. We help each other. We bear with each other. We forgive each other. We weep together. We rejoice together. 
We come from different backgrounds, experiences, and histories. We bring different blind spots and baggage and weaknesses and sins with us. But we are a family. And this family runs thicker than biological bloodlines. It's grafted together more deeply than a family tree. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. United under Jesus' death and resurrection. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Reconciled to our true Father. And we will not just spend Sunday mornings worshiping together. We will spend eternity worshiping together. When done well. And even when done imperfectly. A church can be beautiful, life-giving, and refreshingly odd in a world of loneliness and isolation. So we worship, we build each other up, we love each other as a family, and the church helps us accomplish our mission. We work together to make disciples of all nations. The church represents God to the world. As Jesus says, we are a city on a hill that can't be hidden. Salt and light in a world of deterioration and darkness. We are heralds of God's kingdom that will arrive when Jesus returns. Some have even said that the church does not have a mission to make disciples. Rather... The mission to make disciples has a church. You are part of that church as a believer in Jesus. You have been enlisted in that mission. We mentioned the first half of 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 earlier. But now look at the second half. It begins, but you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Okay, why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The church is here to announce what God has done to the world. Theologian Herman Bovink says... In the midst of a world that does not know where it is going, and which often, because of discouragement and despair, lapses into decay, the church issues its glad hope. We have a glad hope in Christ that much of the world is lacking. So we go out and spread it. We share it. We announce it. Christians, those reconciled to the Father, justified by faith in the Son, being sanctified by the Holy Spirit, are called together by God's Word in God's church. The church is not just a helpful resource that you can take or leave. It's not just a safety net you can turn to when times get hard. It's not just a hobby to keep us busy. It's the called out assembly of God's people, set apart to worship him, 
building each other up, loving each other as a family, and announcing his glory to the watching world. It was instituted by God. Jesus shed his blood for it. The Holy Spirit indwells it. The church. And even this little church on the corner of Allisonville and 141st is meant to be a gift of God's grace to you, to me, and to the world. As one theologian put it, if God is our father, the church is our mother. So do not make the mistake. Do not commit the sin of missing out on the church. You're called to it. You need it. And I pray that you would desire it. Now, is the church perfect? Of course not. If you don't believe me, just ask the fly on the wall from one of our elders meetings. Just read Paul's letters to the Corinthians. Just open up the newspaper. But in his letters to churches, churches that more often than not are messed up, falling short, and shooting themselves in the foot... Paul calls those people saints. The church is ugly because we're all still sinners. But the church is beautiful because God calls us saints. So when you get discouraged by the imperfections, the sins, the scandals of God's church, I'd encourage you to fix your eyes on the church's head. Jesus Christ. And remember that he died for it. As one author put so eloquently, there is no way of belonging to Christ except by belonging gladly and irrevocably to all that marvelous ragbag of saints and idiots who make up the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We are sinners and we are saints. And we are called together by God. So is the church perfect? No. But is it a gift of God? Absolutely. And even when the church seems to be assailed from every side, shrinking in numbers, waning in influence, the butt of every joke, when it seems like the world is moving on from it and Satan is defeating it, We remember its head, Jesus Christ. We remember what Jesus says in Matthew 16, verse 18, that not even the gates of hell will prevail against his church in eternity. As long as Jesus has lived, died, risen again, and one day will return, we press on and worship, discipleship, fellowship, and mission. And we do it with courage. We do it with hope. And we do it with joy. So until we die or Jesus returns, let's make full use of one of the greatest gifts that he has given us, his church. Let's pray that so much time away from it in 2020 would remind us of the gift that the church is. 
rather than fooling us into thinking that we could do without it. In this year of not meeting the way we'd like, not doing the things we want to do, may distance make our hearts grow fonder of the gift that is God's church. Let's pray. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you've done through Jesus Christ. Thank you that we can approach your throne with confidence and prayer. That we can call ourselves your children and your servants because you have called us your children and your servants. And all of that is accomplished by the blood of Jesus. All of that is accomplished at Jesus' death and resurrection. And Lord, we look forward to Jesus' return. We press on in the power of the Spirit. Lord, help us be faithful. Preserve us and sustain us as we wait for Jesus to return. And one of the best things you've given us to help us do just that is your church. You've given us a family. You've given us a means of discipleship. You've given us a vehicle to accomplish our mission. You've given us a purpose which is to worship and glorify you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would be with your church, your universal church, that we would be salt and light in this world, that we would be a city on a hill that can't be hidden, that we would be sound in our doctrine, that we would be wise in our practice, that we would be humble, courageous, bold representatives of your kingdom here in this world. Lord, I pray for missionaries. Give them fruit to their labors. I pray for Christians who are suffering, that you would give them endurance and bold witness. I pray that we would be faithful if or when that time comes for us. I pray for our brothers and sisters that we don't know and that we don't see. And Lord, I pray for our brothers and sisters here in this place. I pray for this church. Keep us united even as we're separated. Provide for us and help us be good stewards of of what you give us. Lord, help us be dedicated to our mission, even in this year where our mission has been a little bit more difficult. Lord, I pray that we would be sanctified, that you would grow us in holiness, that we would love each other. God, help us be the church you call us to be that ultimately ultimately exists for your glory. Thank you for calling us together in the name of Christ. We love you, we glorify you, and we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.